Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Billy. Welcome to Dan Snow's History It. What an extraordinary episode of the podcast I've got for you now. This is a mashup. This is a mashup for comic relief here in the UK We have a festival of comedy. We make fools out of ourselves. We wear red noses. We do stupid things, all to raise money for charity. For this comic relief, I have been matched up with My Dad Wrote a Porno. It is one of the world's biggest podcasts. It's hosted by Jamie Morton, James Cooper, and Alice Levine. And each episode features Jamie Morton reading a new chapter of an amateur erotic novel written by his father under the pen name... Rocky Flintstone. You're going to hear him describing just how this podcast began and how this mad journey began. They need no introduction because, as I say, they are one of the most famous trio in broadcasting. It was a great honour to be asked to come on the podcast and deconstruct some of Rocky Flintstone's historical references. He's obviously, as you'll hear, a big fan of history. So let's crack on. This is my Dan Snow's history hit, mashed up with my dad wrote a porno. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to a very special podcast mashup between My Dad Wrote a Porno and Dan Snow's History Hit, all in aid of comic relief. This Red Nose Day, donations will help people here in the UK and around the world live free from poverty, violence, discrimination and support them with their mental health. This includes helping people right now in Ukraine and the mass displacement of people in many parts of the world. Head to comicrelief.com slash podcast mashup to give what you can now. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys. This is fun. Woo! Hey, how's it going? Hi, Dan Snow. This is, I mean, an unusual combination. I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> I'm not sure it is. In fact, I think the Venn diagram of middle-aged, pornographically-minded authors and fans of military <laughs> history is, um, is pretty, pretty complete. <laughs> so don't worry. I think we might be among friends. How has it taken us so long? Well... I mean, I've been a big fan for years, guys. I don't know. I've been waiting for the call. Dan, we're looking at you. You seem to be in a hotel room. Where are you right now? What's going on? Yeah, I, I wish I was there in person with you guys. Although um, when I did meet up with you guys in person, I did feel a little bit average the following day. So maybe it's best that we're, we're conducting this um, you know, remotely. You honestly. all got drunk without me. Yeah. What, what were you drinking? It was Christmas. It was, it was Christmas and I can't make any further comment. We drank all of Christmas. <laughs> Dan was on the baby sham. He was loving it. Yeah, we all at a Christmas party together and we all got on like a house on fire. So we thought we should do a little mashup. And here we are. It's amazing. It's one of those bizarrely crap Christmas party ideas. It's actually come true. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. That thing's like, I'll definitely email you, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually happening. I can't believe it. I bet you were like, there's no way they'll remember. And then, bing, Monday morning. Cool. So you did kind of verbally promise this one. Um, but you're not at home. What, what, what are you up to? I'm in Cape Town. I'm on my way to Antarctica. 
Um, I'm going to... Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm going this huge research vessel into the roughest waters on planet Earth, stormy seas, <gasps> uh, and we're going to look for a shipwreck, a famous shipwreck, Endurance, Shackleton's shipwreck, which, he, uh, which sank in the Antarctic, and he had to take the small boats on an epic journey of survival back to civilization. And we're going to try and find it on the seabed 3,000 metres down. Wow. That wow. is incredible. And this is your warm-up for that? This this is my this is my Everest actually that that will be easy. <laughs> For the perverts who listen to our podcast and may not be familiar with yours, Dan, although why would they not? It's huge. What's history hit all about? Well, it's basically the good thing about history is everything that ever happened to anyone who's ever lived on this planet. So we go all the way back. There's plenty of content. Plenty of content. The problem with you is you rely mm, on the mm. pen. You rely on the pen of an like, overworked well, human being. Right? So foolish. I mean, you know. So I go look. I saw those guys. It looks like hard work to me. So I can go Stone Age to Nuclear Age, Digital Age, and we. Just we, we talk about history. My favourite episodes are kind of ones where we take a big thing going on in the world at the moment, like Ukraine, Israel-Palestine, Boris Johnson being an absolute idiot, and we kind of look at the historical context for those things. We kind of, how did that all come to be? But, you know, we go, we talk about sex in Pompeii, we talk about, you know, goodness knows, everything, everything that's ever happened. So history in its widest sense. Wow. So we really are like the highbrow and the lowbrow here, because uh, <laughs> we just talk about terrible porn. Um, yeah, the explanation the other way is actually harder. So for Dan's <laughs> listeners tuning yeah. into this. For listeners that haven't heard of porno, exactly mm. what do you do? Well, my dad, when he, he was a builder from Northern Ireland, when he retired, he thought that he would be like E.L. James and write an erotic novel that would sell millions and he'd become a huge global success. Um, he sold four ebooks, but one of the people that he sent it to was me. And because it was the most unintentionally hilarious book I'd ever read... Um, I just had to share it with my mates, two of whom are here, Alice and James. And so we basically just read a chapter of my dad's book every week and critique it, comment on it, mm. try and give it some context, you know, elevate the material if we can. And the jokes kind of become on us because dad has become one of the most successful pornographic writers in history. Writers, um, you could say. <laughs> or writers <laughs> at all, exactly. Um, and yeah, so... We've kind of created a monster, but a beautiful monster. No, you have. I mean, you're one of the biggest podcasts in the world. You're right. You are part of podcast history. So it's great to have you on history because you have you have made history <gasps> that podcast. It's absolutely. Oh, look at oh my that. God. Dan will be talking about us one day on his podcast about the history of podcasts. <laughs> so with this mashup, we thought it'd be a good idea to to mix sex and history and talk about the history of pornography, sex throughout throughout time. Um one thing we wanted to talk to you about is because obviously Rocky thinks he was the first person to ever write an erotic novel. And for context, that's Rocky Flintstone for your Rocky fans, Flintstone, Dan. That's my yes. dad's pen name. But, but but is that the case? I mean, how far back does pornography go? Is it, an, is it a fairly new phenomenon or does it go back to the cavemen? James is asking for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend. You will be surprised to learn that people have been obsessed with sex since the beginning of time. In fact... Fact, no. Yeah, no, I, this is this is crazy. It's, it's like huge if true, um, is that people, human <laughs> beings, and that's what's so wonderful about history. In a way, some things have changed so dramatically. Obviously, our technology, some of our kind of ideas about the world and religion. But amazingly, so much of what drives us hasn't changed. You know, our, our passion to reproduce, to have sex, to, you know, enjoy the touch of another human, for example, to, to eat. All those things have, have been, remained consistent. And so, sure enough, wherever you find human beings writing 
sculpting, carving in the past, you find pornography, you find um, er erotica, I believe is the posh word to describe it in the British That's Museum. the posh word, yeah. Erotica, we yeah. do skirt away from that word because it doesn't fit for dad, but yes. Apologies, it's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> we're going to cancel So in, in kind of ye olde bus stops and, you know, bus shelters, you'll find ye olde pornography stuffed, you know, layers and layers into the peat. Even before ye olde <laughs> and before days of yore... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, way back to ancient Rome, which is, you know, the beginning of most people's kind of... They were horizon. doing it. Yeah, they were doing fact, it then. If you go to Pompeii and Herculaneum, the two cities engulfed by Vesuvius nearly 2,000 years ago, there is just erotica all over those streets. Like, it's bonkers. It's just, <laughs> there's just penises everywhere. I mean, there are. What? It's, yeah, it's funny that you're laughing, because I, I actually think that this was known. Like, it's just, there are just penises all over the shop. So were they all just, like, 12-year-old boys in maths class? Like, what's the deal? They're just drawing dicks everywhere over yeah. everything that they own. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I mean, historians debate this kind of stuff all the time. It makes it <laughs> And we're glad to join the debate. Some, yeah, some of it's kind of pure on. Some of it's kind of, you know, around iconography and, and hope at fertility. A lot of issues around fertility and people wanting to oh, you know, get, yeah. have babies and, and people wanting to have, yeah, having sex. So, so but there are a lot, quite a lot of brothels in Pompeii that, that pe people have discovered. And they show... Um, women in a variety of sexual positions, I think you'd describe it as. I think Rocky Flintstone would, would obviously, as the expert, would be able to probably call them all out in, in, and describe them in mm. detail. But, sure. you know, you also get, like, murals with information about services, like specific services that people would perform, prostitutes would perform sexual Really? Oh. Yeah, clients. And clients' appraisal of women as well. So clients talking about particular uh, women. There's, there's one famous bit of graffiti that says, thrust slowly, which I, you know, is definitely... A take. I, I, I think that's, I mean, it's it's advice that has stood the test of time. You would hear that now. I, I, trust me. I've, I have, <laughs> trust me. It does ring a bell. All right. And, uh, and then there's another one. My favourite is Euplia was here with 2,000 beautiful men. And she apparently were told in the list of prices, sucks. Uh, it costs five, effectively, you know, five, of, of the Roman currency, like five quid, basically, for her to suck wow. you off. So we know that. So good old Euclid. She Her name has become wow. immortalised. Yeah. So do you think there was something more respectable about drawing penises on everything than, as Jamie says, now when you see it on a, a bathroom door or a, or a textbook? Yeah, I think we do, right? I think that because we're so weird about sex, we think of ourselves as really, really kind of liberated, but also we're really weird about sex. So it's really funny and interesting that your podcast is like one of the biggest podcasts in the world. But like, why not? Everyone is obsessed and fascinated by sex and wants to talk about it and listen to other people talk about it. Like, I find it very emancipating listening to you guys talking about it and you know it's not it's not shame it's not like so and yet everyone's like oh what a surprise oh goodness me like why is that a surprise <laughs> <laughs> that's mainly us dan to be fair we're like i was, oh, gonna, say, I was gonna say our byline for the podcast should be you think they're really liberated about sex but they're actually just really weird about it i think that probably does sum it up we do try and be uh, sex positive and open-minded but throw three prudes in a room and you know you don't know what's going to happen we have been called by the americans the ron harry and hermione of pornography <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's brutal so, you know. it really is in fact the Romans are kind of famous for their orgies and stuff how much of that has been overstated throughout time or is it just one big as dad would say fuck fest one, it's one big fuck fest <laughs> you know the answer is it's very hard to be sure um, a lot of historians mm. and chroniclers at the time like they do today use sex and like sexual deviance as a way of kind of criticising and trying to destroy someone's legacy mm. there are obviously reliable accounts of the imperial palace people having orgies there but you know there were those there were, like in france there was those big court cases a couple of years ago about that guy from the world bank you know he was in like there seemed like quite a lively orgy yes. scene among the elite in france you know I, i'm reading that as my like doing my kids nappies at five in the morning thinking something's 
Something's just gone, <laughs> gone wrong here. Like, I'm living in the new forest surrounded by dirty nappies. <laughs> that's a fascinating point, though, about early sex shaming. That's, that's oh, yeah. kind of a mad thought. That's, that's crazy. We think of that as such a contemporary phenomenon, but that's always happened. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Tiberius, the Roman emperor, was said by his... Uh, a biographer. Uh, he used to be a kind of young, virile soldier who, like, hero of Roman Empire. He got a bit old and a bit sort of fat and greedy. And he used to apparently get young boys to swim in his swimming pool at Capri and nibble on his genitals. And that was a sign, like, by, the, by his biography, like, it could be true, but it also just could be them saying, like, he became a sort of depraved old man. Yeah. The bit that bothers me is nibble. The nibbling, yeah. yeah. No, there's yeah. no suggestion it was any more. It's just kind of like a little sort of fishy-like kiss. Fishy kiss? <laughs> There's one for Rocky. Yeah. He gave him a fishy kiss. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and it's, it's tied up with politics. Sex is about politics and control and power. You know, and, and I guess it always is. Well, which is a bit like Belinda Blinked, you know. It's a, it's a business tool in many ways to uh, sell some pots and pans. So there's, there's some sort of equivalent. So I'm just trying to find some equivalent with Belinda Blink. James is right. Certainly when we started reading these books, there were lots of discussions around the protagonist, Belinda Blumenthal, who is the uh, sales director of Steel's Pots and Pans for those that listen and for those that don't. This just sounds like weird white noise. But, you know, she shags away around the world. She uses her sexuality as a tool. It's something she loves. It's something she really enjoys. She's in control of it. And lots of people were not sure how to feel about that. So, yeah, I think it's it's just something that we're still talking about now, which kind of blows my mind. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult with history. And this Belinda is a, is a great example of this. But it's like, we're told that people like Catherine the Great, who, by the way, the horse thing is a complete and utter myth and a like, disgraceful bit of misogyny. But she was sexually mm. active like any other monarch she had lovers, usually monogamous series of, of favourites of lovers, or of a, uh, like a famous... French aristocrat in the 18th century. And it was said they were like, these women were like sexually voracious. And what we don't know is whether they were like unusually sexually active and, and happy with that and having a perfectly normal and, and lovely time, or whether that is just like trying to sort of delegitimize them, take away their power or their influence. Like it's very hard for us to know. That's what makes it so fascinating is you kind of, you're trying to read these sources, you're trying to work out nearly all written by men. Like what are the men trying to do with that? Mm. Belinda is just the latest of many high profile women who've been, <laughs> written about what is rocky about. trying to do with that yeah. i mean we ask ourselves that constantly what was he trying to do <laughs> and on the other side of that was elizabeth i's reputation of being the virgin queen to kind of give her more power if being seen as sexually promiscuous or active was to diminish a woman was this virginal depiction of the queen to elevate her status yeah that's really difficult i think she was trying to say first of all i'm, I'm marrying england I am faithful only to England. Like, so, I, so I'm, mm. it's not some... Also the idea of like a foreign prince, because you often marry foreigners. So she's like, I'm not going to marry some French guy. Right. My sister married a Spanish prince, right, Philip. Um, I'm going to remain chaste and pure for England. Yeah, and I'm not going to be kind of... Yeah, it's like the idea that in a court full of men, that she remains like untouchable. Like it's super weird and difficult when you think about it, but it's <laughs> that was definitely part of her mystique. And was it true? Like, was she a virgin, do you think? Or do we not know? Well, we don't know. I, th I think she... I don't, I, we don't know. She, she definitely formed really close male friendships, particularly when she was younger. She had favourites and she, I mean, she may have done a bit of shagging, but um, sadly we don't know. I love that we think that Dan will know. Like, nobody know. knows, but Dan knows. Dan's like, yeah, she shagged. <laughs> Actually, she shagged. She shagged. Un unlike her dad, of course, who famously got married uh, six times... And people often think Henry VIII was a great shagger. In fact, I think that possibly the opposite is true. I think he had problems in the sex department. In fact, yeah, it's a brilliant mm -hmm. story. Anne Boleyn, at her trial, uh, 
It's such a weird moment. Anne Boleyn's brother was on trial for um, having sex with his sister, incest, right? And many of the, the best and the brightest in the land were gathered to watch this trial. And, and for, like Henry's lawyer went up to him and said, don't read this out to everyone, but this is apparently something that Anne told you. And he looked down and went, what, that Henry VIII can't get it up and is crap in bed? You know, I'm paraphrasing. The entire room just burst out laughing. Like, it was just a great <sighs> moment. That a hum- and that's something that actually happened during the trial. That's utterly, utterly humiliating. So he struggled um, to have sex, I-, I think. But many of his forebears didn't, obviously. Edward IV was a uh, the dad of the prince in the tower was an absolute shagger. It was said that he... Top shagger. I mean, top shagger. Top shagger. Hashtag top lad. Uh, apparently one of the reasons that, that the people of London let him back in was because the women of London wanted to jump back in his bed um, when he, he thought he was involved in the civil war. <laughs> what services to shagging allowed him back in? Basically, uh, basically. I mean, he was a beautiful... Wow. He was a beautiful young man, but he really let himself go. I mean, he went for it. <laughs> Fair play. He gorged on everything life had to offer. Um, I love the way Dan talks about these people like they're old mates. He's like, God, yeah, he was a great lad. Beautiful, beautiful. Really low top guy. <laughs> but what a top guy. But this is why historians basically gossip about dead people, right? And so just like, you know, when we run out of people to gossip about ourselves, we can draw on everyone in the past. It's, that's what makes life so enjoyable. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Alexander Great. What a weirdo. So, um, Dan's just down the pub with all his mates and then you go down and you're like, oh, they're all in his head. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's bought pints for five different people. No one sat there. All right, let's get me some the bullying because that's really. This is getting a little close to the bone, guys. Um, but he, ironically, Edward the Fourth, the shagger, kicked his cousin Henry the Sixth off the throne. Henry the Sixth was poor thing, one of our sort of less alpha kings, and he and his wife had to be joined by a sex coach. They had trouble procreating for, for years, and they had to sort of get mm. some advice in. I think. And, and both, I think, you know, both of them would have been virgins and it would have been quite complicated. I actually think my dad says that his dad had to consult a doctor when he got married because he didn't know how to have sex. And I'm sure he's wow, going to be over the moon really? that you've said that. Sorry, Dad. But we're living in a kind of time now which is post-Rocky Flintstone, so everybody has the manual they need to work out how to do it. So it's fine. <laughs> People won't encounter those problems. Public service. Um, what were like, the early <laughs> examples of contraception like condoms and things like that when when did they kind of start being introduced uh, people have used the most really difficult condoms uh, over the years <laughs> i mean lamb intestines oh wow oiled paper i'd go the oiled paper over lamb intestines i mean that's really? not going anywhere oh i think i'd go lamb intestines i think it's funny how the lads are all like i think you might get the feels more with the uh... <laughs> That's very interesting. Maybe because I'm a vegetarian, I don't that's know. It. That's absolutely it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. The three of us just all went, ooh, don't know about that. <laughs> Piece Sounds of A4. Quite... <laughs> putrid meat is what you would do for the feel. I guess for his pleasure, yeah, fine. You're adding the putrid there. <laughs> I mean, intestines are never <laughs> the sweetest smelling of meats. <laughs> <laughs> We're having too much of a nice time. We should pause for a second. This is a great sex education slash history class, two lessons which aren't usually uh, a hybrid. Um, But we are here for a very special reason. Yes, this mashup episode is specially for comic relief. Other shows involved include The Football Ramble, The Guilty Feminist, Homo Sapiens, Off Menu, Films to be Buried With, and loads and loads of other great podcasts. So you have the power to do something incredible this Red Nose Day, whether it's a little or a lot. The money you donate will help tackle poverty. Take action against violence and bring an end to discrimination. Give now at comicrelief.com slash podcast mashup. Or text podcast to 70210 to give £10 today. 
Text costs your donation amount plus your standard network message charge and 100% of your donation will go to Comic Relief, a registered charity. You must be 16 or over and please ask the bill payers permission. For full terms and conditions, visit comicrelief.com forward slash podcast mashup. How did Hitler's sexuality shape his worldview? Why did the Black Death lead to the rise of the witch trials? And what are some of the sauciest scandals involving kings and queens at Hampton Court? I don't know about you, but this is the history I want to hear about. If you do too, then join me, Kate Lister, every Tuesday and Friday to find out the answers to all of these questions and more. Listen to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you're using messaging apps, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos, and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Dan Snow at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We have a character in the books called the Duchess, uh, the Duchess of Epsom, actually. Actually, first question, is there a Duchess of Epsom? I don't think there is, no. Thank God, because there'd be a huge defamation suit coming to <laughs> um, She, uh, in her country pile, she has a room dedicated full of dildos, uh, different types, different materials, different sizes, anything you can imagine. It's a confection. We were interested to know what the history is of dildos, kind of what some, maybe some of the earliest dildos were. I, I think she has a wooden one. Were there wooden dildos in the past, things like that? Go on, Dan, talk to us about dildos. Yay! Well, yeah, I rarely talk about anything else, really. Um, <laughs> you know, it's quite... Because we find quite a few phalluses, penis-shaped things. Um, if, if we found them from the Stone Age. Although, then again, penises look like lots of other things as well. So there is a temptation to, like, find a little blob of something from the Stone Age and go, there's two people shagging. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's got lumps and bumps, but, I mean, I guess it could be. So we're a bit... It's also really difficult to kind of work it out. But there have been dildos that are found through history. Amazingly, lots of people seem to make dildos out of bread. 
Oh, oh. What? Yeah, I know. Stale bread, loaf. fresh bread. I think the key thing to remember, folks, is before today, we were a materially poor culture. Like, most, most people didn't have much stuff, so you just had to use whatever mm. came to hand, right? Danny, are you sure it wasn't just a baguette? Yeah, well, yes. They, these archaeologists <laughs> have found a baguette and went, filth. Absolute filth, clearly. <laughs> a this, huge dildo. Yeah, huge dildo. <laughs> yeah, and so dildos are very common, and, and, we've, and women would make their own dildos. There's an amazing one I once saw in the 18th century. It looks like an egg whisk. Uh, and it was it was sort of um, a vibrator. That's like when the, when you get sort of mechanical vibration introduced as well. They'd whisk themselves off. Wow, whisk. <laughs> that That's sounds impressive. like there would probably be a lot of fatalities from the the early vibrator. <laughs> Do you mean the end was like a whisk or like the the mechanism? No, of- the, the mechanism. You know when the you're mechanism. Fine, right. fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. we're on the same page. Good. Yeah. Okay. It's a workout and a great time for yourself. I was thinking, I guess it's trial and error, but whew, the the error involved in the early ones. Oh, wow. So again, this idea that we're living in our most progressive time, perhaps not, because perhaps the idea of female masturbation is now more of a taboo than it was in the past. Yes, I think there have been times when it's been very taboo. I mean, the, eight, the 19th century, I know the Victorians come in for a hard time and they, they on the whole... It was both a time of prudishness, but also you know, lots of sexual activity, lots of pornography, loads of Victorian porn. But um, they, like Florence Nightingale, writes extensively about trying to avoid masturbating. I mean, it was like a, it was a fucking sun up to sundown. It was her personal <laughs> Everest, and she was like, "Wow, you know, yeah." It was a, it was like it's like Jerry Maguire. It is a struggle that you will never ever know. <laughs> and so she never succumbed to it. Well, no, I think she did. That's the problem. Oh, so, she did. Yeah, she, she oh. sort of, and then she hates herself and beats stuff up about it. And, oh God. Oh, Flo. Flo, just it's yeah, tough. Give it tough up. Tough times. Yeah, it's fine. And you, you mentioned Victorian pornography. Is that just like, oh, look at that ankle. Look at that. Is it a real close-up of an ankle bone? Do you know what? Actually, this is niche content, but I actually really like Victorian pornography because it's just like, it's just brilliant. <laughs> okay. It's brilliant photographs. Dan, we're recording. We're recording, Dan, just so you know. This is live, yeah. So it's just photographs of like brilliantly human-looking people. They haven't worked out that they need to like, it's not like modern pornography where it's not what most of us actually look like and the things we do. It's just like Victorian mm. pornography is like amusingly normal-looking people, just like, shagging or like going for a bicycle ride and like with nice scenery in a little photographer's <laughs> studio or like lifting, <laughs> lifting weights or doing some flower arranging and and it's like you know they've got loads of body hair and they look like you know so it's kind of it's great I, I really like it I just love the idea of flower arranging being a big part of the the setup but like, I'm less concerned about the bodies I'm more like yeah that's fun for me like oh yeah we, we know we know the classic the plumber came round to fix a sink but what about like I'm arranging my peonies so Atlas speak. is Googling as we speak. Yeah, I'm like, I think this could make a comeback. It'll be amazing how many of my guests, when I'm talking to them remotely, end up Googling while I speak. It's, uh, this is not my first uh, time I've heard that. <laughs> you just see that glazed expression. Alice isn't actually Googling. She's just setting up her OnlyFans account, which is just her and the flowers. <laughs> I feel like if you're into it, other people are into it. That's all I'm saying. But Alice, if you think about it, they were using studios, because the camera's quite unwieldy and the lighting rig and everything. So they were using studios that where you do your family portraits. So all that kind of Victoriana that we're used to, like a nice, pleasant, countryside scene or flowers or the little pedestal with the little you know hanging basket off it that you'd get when your great great grandma or whatever went for her family photo. they just they chuck the porn in afterwards use the same set and that's why you get these <laughs> yes. these kind of really weird scenes yeah okay this is already the most educational episode we've ever done and, yeah. and i imagine the least you've ever done or no, this is mate, it's this top content have you noticed that since um, james started googling victorian porn he hasn't spoken <laughs> <laughs> Dan, just give me five more minutes. Can you, can you and also, we can't say... Can you turn your camera back on, see... bud? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I'm just beginning to think that Rocky's just hiding loads of Easter eggs in the books that we're not getting. <laughs> He's a historian, basically. Yeah, essentially. I, I actually, folks, I've been listening to your podcast for years. I completely agree. My dad is a real history buff, actually, because he went to the same school as um, the Duke of Wellington. Do you mean at the same time? <laughs> uh, I think they, they like missed by like two or three years. He was ah, in upper sixth. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure, sure. He was a lowly year seven, Alice. He couldn't possibly approach him. Um, yeah, he does, he does pepper the books with references um, that honestly sometimes go over our heads. You see, I giggle at the parts that you guys don't even know is funny. So you're getting double giggle from me. That's the thing. <laughs> when you guys are like the Siege of Mafeking, you skip over to the next funny bit. I'm, I'm still roaring about that. You know? <laughs> Can we talk about that specifically? Because I still am not really sure what the relief of Mafeking is. I might just like give us a bit of context of how how it appeared in the books, if that's okay. So um, this happens in book two, chapter nine, to be exact, everybody. Um, Bella shook her head as her clitoris became wet. Sir James increased the pressure and his fingers slid through her nub. <laughs> Bella drank her Chardonnay and saw Belinda return, braless from the ladies. Talk about the relief of Mafeking, thought Bella. What's she on about, Dan? As ever, I'm not absolutely sure I know exactly what he's talking about. But the, 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 the reference to Mafeking, it's always called the Reef Gap Mafeking. Basically, it was a, a, a siege in the Boer War in about, in about 1900. It went on for 217 days. This, it had everything the Brits love. Uh, quite a few toffs, um, a hopeless stand against the odds. Uh, they were surrounded by the Boers, who are these white South Africans, these descendants of Dutch settlers in South Africa. The Brits and the, the Boers were sort of fighting it out for control of South Africa. And it was very celebrated because Baden-Powell, you might have heard, of. Oh yeah, the scouts. The scouts, yeah. He was in charge and, and through, through sort of plucky heroism against the odds, the Brits kind of held out and they, they were then relieved. And because the war was going really particularly bad for the Brits at this time, it was it was bigged up. They gave out loads of Victoria crosses and it was sort of made a big thing of. And so for a certain generation, Mafeking became a kind of byword for plucky British underdog success. And so for someone schooled in that kind of 1950s, 60s, 70s, ah. everyone would have heard about that. It would have been absolute. And then the Boy Scouts were founded partly as a result a few years later. But it's interesting now, no one's ever heard of it anymore, right? So it's, this, this, is, mm. this is porn written by a certain generation for a certain generation, I would suggest. But I think you guys already knew that. <laughs> so we're just the wrong people to be reading it, is what you're saying. It makes perfect sense for somebody in their 60s. You guys, your podcast is listened to unironically by people in their 60s. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder Emma Thompson loved it so much. Yeah, I don't know if you know that. But yeah, this is, that's, just, that's just how prose works for that generation. <laughs> I'm so glad we've cleared that up once and for all. So it's a byword for... Being an underdog, basically. Yeah. Well, actually, Dan, while we're on this train of thought, there's some other stuff, um, Rocky's reference, that we wanted to kind of get your take on. Uh, a few other excerpts in the book. There's a very famous one about the Titanic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jamie, if you'd be so kind. Do you want me to read it? Um, yeah. Okay. This is in book one, chapter 12. Her nipples hardened with her feeling of freedom, and they were now as large as the three-inch rivets which had held <laughs> the hull of the fateful Titanic together. I love that line. It marries maritime archaeology, maritime history, together with nipples, which is something that I've, you know, it's so daring. It's so daring. <laughs> Algorithmically, Dan, that was created for you, really, it, that literally, line. Literally, it's like the, the people invented the TikTok algorithm, obviously the best algorithm in the world, just, have just fed that into my feed, basically. <laughs> they, know me, they know me so well. It also, you know, it also, there's a lively debate, actually, about Titanic's rivets, which I will just, if you've got time, I can share this. Oh, you. okay. We've got time. Oh, God, please. He's jumped headlong. Is this a, is this a subreddit? It. Okay, fine. This is, this is, oh yeah, it is. In fact, cl yeah, close your mentions for about a week after this one because they're going to come. <laughs> <laughs> 
people are going to go nuts. Um, the, 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 basically, there's a lively debate about whether the rivets were of a high enough quality and whether the Titanic um, would have survived if, if they'd used steel rivets in the bow section, for example, and whether they were like in a hurry and they used lower quality iron rivets. And guess what? Lower quality iron rivets, they had too much slag in them. <gasps> Way uh, too much slag. Oh, man. Watch out. <laughs> they had too much slag in them, and, and so they were a bit weaker. And so the thought is that they've looked at the Titanic on the seabed and she smashed into the iceberg, which carved that huge gash in the hull. Uh, and and some of the steel, pl- some of the plates, Alice, some of the plates obviously then <laughs> loosened because these, these rivets kind of popped out. Now, people, in, if you say this to people in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, you need to get on a plane and get out of there very, very quickly. But um, it is, there is a, sort of a body of evidence that suggests when she was being built in Belfast, they, they did use these iron rivets, too much slag. So Wow. So really, what Dad's saying is that her nipples were hard, but not maximum hardness. Or... Is it a political statement? Because he's from Northern Ireland. So is he saying there is this discussion, there is this debate? And so is he saying, no, they were rock hard because the rivets that were made were rock hard? Mm, Don't come for the rivets. I think that's exactly what he's doing. And as the expression goes in Northern Ireland, the Titanic was fine when it left here. Some Englishman drove it into an iceberg. (laughs) And I think your dad's come down hard on on that side. But I I think his next draft, he might want to replace that with like depleted uranium rivets or something like that and and use it kind of (laughs) anti-tank missile reference there but you know it's up to him I'll be honest Dan when he tries to use a contemporary reference or tries to bring it up to date it doesn't go well but yeah we can definitely uh, we can definitely suggest something I mean this is making me really think that the joke is on us guys because if there are all these legitimate reasons why dad has put these metaphors references in his his books then fuck he is a genius do you worry that having Dan here is the first time we've ever fully understood your dad. Well, we thought that we'd destroy Dan's podcast. He's destroying our podcast. (laughs) This has backfired horribly. You have no idea how often I act as a translator between my friends and their parents. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, I, I understand him so much more now, Dan. Thank you. It's an obscure reference to World War One aviation, but we can. You know, let's let's move on. <laughs> I think what he means by that is, I love you. Yeah, exactly. Well, we were laughing. <laughs> well, we were laughing like very early in the book when um, Dad wrote that somebody's breasts fell freely like pomegranates, which we found hilarious. And the pomegranate has kind of become the unofficial symbol of the Belinda Blinked books. But pomegranates actually are quite a well-known symbol for sexuality and fertility, right, throughout history. Yes, they, they, they are, absolutely. And you think of Persephone and the, the pomegranates when she's t- carried off by Hades down to the underworld and, and she eats pomegranates. Mm. But we've got so many slang terms for breasts. Your, your, your dad, you know, he's in a very rich tradition. And I, there's an amazing <laughs> yeah. uh, social media TikTok account run by a woman called Kate Lister, who's a, a brilliant academic. And she, the other day, put through a, um, posted a video with a list of things that breasts have been called. Um, we've got the 18th century love hillocks. Oh, the Tudors nice. called them duckies. Duckies, yeah. I like that. I, the one I quite like is Cupid's kettle drums. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, really unpleasant. 1970s lung warts. Oh, oh my God. Why would they call them something that is... You know, infected and yeah, it's wrong. Who on earth was calling them long warts? <laughs> well, it's, it's Some, somebody that wasn't getting anywhere near them. Nineteen yes. sixties um, yeah. top bollocks. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And another one from Ish. just before the French Revolution. The Apple Dumpling Shop. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's very nice. I think that's nice. It's better than top bollocks, for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else Rocky's called them over, over the years. Fan of tits, of course. Yeah. 
The money tits. Um, the money he did tits. once describe someone's breasts as falling like the Lehman Brothers, which I quite enjoyed. Oh, yeah. That was quite a good one for dad. Um, it's called we the presume many things over the rapidly, year. dramatically, <laughs> unexpectedly, bringing down yeah. the global financial system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The power of the breast. Um, I, I like the way your dad is obsessed with the Norse gods. Yes. Mm. In a big way. I think they're more sex positive. I think the idea is, unlike the Christians, who we can all agree. I've got an issue around sex, you know, the Virgin mm-hmm. Mary and all this kind of stuff. Norse gods is his other nearest pantheon of gods that he's comfortable with. He's like, yep, yeah, we'll have that. It's only about <laughs> a thousand years old. I can borrow that one. And I guess he'd say quite sex positive and transgressive and naughty. Mm. Which would suit his canon. Yeah. I was intrigued. When you said that obviously you're going to the Antarctica to recover a, a shipwreck, it kind of jogged my memory that my dad did use another famous shipwreck in one of the books. And I just want to know if this is possible. He's, he said that um, in the in the Steel's Pots and Pans office, one of the brushed antique brass knobs on the door um, was beautiful. It had, it had beautiful gold threading around the bulb bit and was stunning to touch and see. Rumours had long circulated that it had been recovered from the Mary Rose but who knew for real? I mean, the Mary Rose is a, what, a Tudor warship? I think we managed to discern that from when we did that episode. Um, so the Mary Rose is, was Henry VIII's favourite uh, warship, and it sank okay. famously. They left the gun ports open, and it sank in 1545, and then was then raised up from the seabed in 1982. So again, for your dad's generation, that would have been a kind of absolutely you know, amazing event. It would have been it was one of the most televised events at that point, and for, for someone of his age, it would be this amazing moment watching that ship come up from the seabed. Just out of interest, though, because that's just the doorknob on her office at Steel's Pots and Pans. How much do you think that object would be worth? Off the Mary Rose? Yeah, given its fame. Oh, that's a, t- a very tough question. I, I, I mean, no one's ever... You don't really buy stuff off Mary Rose because it's all been sort of, you know, protected. And so I don't know how you'd end up... It's like saying if you could sell, like, a part of the crown jewels, what they're worth. I don't really know. But I think it would be worth a brass top. I mean, look, brass corrodes in seawater, as we all know. So it's very unlikely to have survived on the bottom of the stone for 400 years. OK. <laughs> but it is conceivable that it was buried in mud when it sank. So let's just go with that. OK. So, and then it's conceivable the museum sold it off. Uh, because they were short cash and they somehow got around the regulations. Uh, and so I think it would go for 100, 100 grand, 200 grand. I mean, it'd be you know, very, very valuable. So- wow. To then use it as a working door handle feels like a bit of a disgrace, really, doesn't it? As you say, it should be in a glass cabinet. Do you know what? That is such yeah. a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, well, legend has it came from the Mary Rose. Well, if it did, it's one of the most precious <laughs> items in British history, you absolute <laughs> maniacs. What are you doing? <laughs> Uh, he oh, does say yeah. no one knew for real. I think we know for real. Uh, it can't have happened. You may know this about um, Jamie's dad, Dan, but he's he's often covering his back. So he will make these sweeping claims and then put in a little <laughs> caveat that's like, but, you know, it was myth. So you can't have me for it in case the estate of the Mary Rose <laughs> comes yeah, Exactly. He obviously felt safe having the brand name Mary Rose in there. <laughs> Uh, he normally avoids those like the plague. Mary Rose is public domain. It's more than 70 years after the death of the Byzantine yes. designer, right? So he's, he's fine. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Dan, this has been so much fun and very enlightening, I have to say. Mm. We've learnt a lot, um, as to be expected. You've probably not learned anything. I've, learned, I've had a masterclass in broadcasting and podcasting here, guys. What can I say? I don't doubt it. I've learned from three oh. absolute legends. If this doesn't spawn a kind of mini-series of porno hit or, you know, my dad wrote a history book, I think that would be a real shame. 
Um, but likely we'll just see you drunk at a Christmas party, won't we? I, I hope so. <laughs> but if your dad wants to write Viking warrior porn, I can be a historical consultant. No problem at all. <laughs> you've got one subscriber. Enjoy the Antarctica, Dan. Hope it all goes well. I hope you've got your stash of Victorian pornography to keep you company. Uh, yeah, good. I've, I've printed it out. I've, I've run out of colour on my printer, but that's fine. Not a problem. And um, I'm going to come watch you guys at a live show. So thank you very much yes. for having me on, man. It's so great to see you guys. Yeah, come to the Palladium. And as this is your last chance, Dan, anything else you want to say about sex? Um, I, I've just told you every single thing I know about <laughs> sex and sex and history. I, I'm out. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this podcast, everyone. Now, you have the power to do something incredible this Red Nose Day. Whether it's a little or a lot, the money you donate will help tackle poverty, take action against violence, and bring an end to discrimination. Give now at comicrelief.com slash podcast mashup or... To donate £10, text the word PODCAST to 70210. Texts cost your donation amount plus your standard network message charge, and 100% of your donation will go to Comic Relief, a registered charity. You must be 16 or over. Please ask the bill payer's permission. For full terms and conditions, visit comicrelief.com slash podcast mashup. This isn't the only mashup that's been going on this comic relief season. Other shows involved include Football Ramble, Help I Sexed My Boss, The Guilty Feminist, Homo Sapiens, Off Menu, Films to Be Buried With, and loads of other fantastic podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout. <laughs>